Hey, this is Mindful Mostly. It's a show for those of us who are mindful most of the time. It's about lifestyle, wellness, modern spirituality, careers, living your best life in the most down-to-earth way possible. I'm Andrea Collins. Hey, if you dig this show, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It's a huge help. Helps other people find the show. You can also check out mindfulmostly.com for lots of great freebies, including the new moon kit, which will help you manifest what you want in 2020 with the super tools to get you going. Grab it at mindfulmostly.com. Hey, here's a question. You want to earn a nice income, that kind where you don't have to worry about anything? And do you want to feel calm and at peace with your finances? On today's show, the mindful millionaire Lisa Peterson is here. She's on a mission to help you elevate your financial consciousness and realize your true value in the world and beyond. Sounds pretty good, right? Today, we're going to talk about how you can find the true you and translate that into experiences with money and how we should be setting ourselves up for happiness and financial success today. Last night, I got together with a bunch of people and uh, there were a lot of conversations going on about how people were reconsidering the career path that they'd chosen when they were in university or when, when they were figuring it all out when we were 19. You know, it's so crazy to think that you graduate from high school and then you choose a profession and you're supposed to do that for the rest of your life and you're supposed to be completely happy with it. If that's your situation, awesome. It's very rare. You're very lucky. A lot of people, I would say the majority of the people at the age, uh, sorry, the ages of the people where I was yesterday, about 35 years old, and everybody's kind of starting to say to themselves, can I do this, you know, for another 20 to 25 years? I don't know. So that's why I think today's topic of conversation is really interesting. I'm going to say that again, how you can find the true you and then translate that into experiences with money, which is really important, I think. Money, as much as we hate to say it, is a big factor in all of our lives. For some of us more than others. For some of us, we just, it's all we strive for. We we imagine that that is what happiness is. Um, so today we're going to take a little bit of look a uh, look at that dynamic as well. But first... If you want to make 2020 the year that you really get in touch with yourself and those goals you want to set, you know, everything you want to achieve, that dream life you want to have, then grab the Mindful Mostly New Moon Kit. You can get the clarity and attraction super tools that you need to bring it all into fruition with the Mindful Mostly New Moon Kit. It's a powerful monthly practice. I do it every month. It can create unimaginable abundance in your life with super tools that intensify manifesting and take you to the next magnetic level. Magnetism, that is what it's all about. The Mindful Mostly New Moon Kit gets straight to the super tools, creating a plan that optimizes your time, uplevels your ability to attract, plus, unlike any other courses, it won't cost you a million dollars or complicate your life. Grab it at mindfulmostly.com. Okay, let's talk to Lisa. First question, how do we elevate our financial consciousness? Great question. What I found is that even though, you know, some of us know more about money than others, many of us, if not all of us struggle with how we think about money. 
And that is that money has gotten wrapped up, you know, whatever's happening on the outside with money has gotten wrapped up in our own self-identity. And as we start to disentangle our experiences and our understanding and our belief systems about money, we actually start to have a more well-rounded, powerful, agile approach to money. So we elevate our financial consciousness by disentangling our own self-identification with money. And then we can, we can look back and see, oh, wow, you know, there's all these opportunities for me to do some different things that I haven't even thought about with money that I didn't even know I had the chance to do. And we also, which is something that I like to, to focus a lot of time and attention on, is we also can look back and say, well, well, when I disentangle myself from money, what do I have left? Like what's going on in my own relationship with, with self-worth, for example? Because mm, that's what it all comes back to is self-worth. Yes and no. I mean, from, for many people that I serve, they don't actually know a lot about how to take good care of themselves financially. So mm. that's an important part of being a human being. So that, that's part of it. And, and funny enough, when we don't understand something that is so important in our own life journey, it naturally leads to lack of self-confidence in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so much of the way I imagine we, we think about money, the way we identify with it, the value we place on it has to do with how we were brought up around money. Totally. Totally. So you know, in, in my book, I talk about the fact that there are people out there, and I've seen them all my life, where they have this very fluid relationship with money. Like things happen, things don't always go in their favor, but they just move through it so easily. It's like no big deal. Ah, oh, this happened. This is what we're going to do. There's no emotional like breakdowns. You know, they just move forward. <laughs> And, and oftentimes that has a lot to do with the environment that they were raised in, where money was not treated with a lot of, of pain and suffering and discomfort. Mm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, yeah, I'm kind of envious of that arrangement in, in life. That wasn't mine. <laughs> the complete opposite. And, and in all fairness, most people don't grow up in those sites, sorts of homes and in it doesn't even matter how much money you had at home. Like some people have a lot of money that I work with and yet there was a lot of pain associated with money and then others had nothing and there was a lot of pain associated with, you know, their experiences both in the home and also with money. And For sure. So they're not always like, I don't just work with people who have had problems with money growing up or, it's funny because it's just somehow because money is so important in our society and there's all these belief systems connected to it, you know, we end up, you know, knowing that, yeah, things just aren't, I just don't have a lot of peace with money. And that's when I think people realize that, that maybe they need some help. Yeah. And I, I mean, do you believe this to be true? I, I find if I see somebody who has the designer purse, the flashy car, you know, the, fake boobies, the injections, the, like all of the wealth, they're showing so much wealth in an outwardly way. I always think to myself, whoa, something's up there with money. Like that person w grew up with having some, some um, 
strange beliefs around money or feelings of lack and then now feels like to tell the world he or she is successful, they must project this image. And lots of times those people are the ones that are struggling the most financially, but they think that that is how you exemplify wealth and success. No question about it. I mean, it happens at all levels, whether somebody has a lot of money or doesn't, that that we have been trained that the outward showing of wealth is something to be revered Mm -hmm. and makes you more important. And for someone like myself, that I totally had that thought. In fact, I used the ability to buy, for example, expensive clothes when I was an executive with a large bank as one way of sort of putting on an image that portrayed something different than what I felt inside, you know, because it made me feel like maybe I was just as good as these people who had gone to Harvard and Stanford and grown up with silver spoons in their mouths, much to the opposite of what I had grown up with. Buying those expensive clothes made me feel like I might fit in better. Because what were you feeling inside? I think not enough. You know, I knew that my circumstances were quite different. I hadn't developed enough understanding of who I was and, you know, my own merits and my own gifts. So instead of looking at those, all I did was look out and say, well, I didn't get raised in these sorts of environments, these very educated and, um, you know, opportunities to travel and do all these things that these people that I was working with had. So that must mean that I'm not as smart as they are, or I'm not as, um, I'm not as worthy is probably the best way I could describe it at that time. That leads into my next question. Um, How can we realize our true value and then translate that into our experiences with money? Great question. You know, we always have to start with wherever we're at, you know, so understanding ourselves is the key to all future iterations of self-worth and self-value. I think one of the parts of my journey that I really, really appreciate is, is this ability to learn about the strengths and the weaknesses, you know, and not feel like I have to hide the weaknesses instead to actually in many cases, use the things that I would have perceived as weaknesses in the past to learn and to grow and to also accept the fact that I'm never going to be six feet tall, you know, and um, 110 pounds, you know, like it isn't that simple, but, but I use those sorts of examples of, you know, there are certain parts of ourselves that we are in denial about. And when we can turn the mirror back and look at these aspects of ourselves and and truly celebrate the gifts and the talents and no longer make ourselves wrong because we don't, um, we don't, you know, like, or we don't, we think that parts of ourselves are substandard, you know, we have to be able to see a well-rounded aspect of ourselves, which again, I don't think it's, um, gets encouraged in our society. It's kind of like, you got to be good at everything. You've got to kind of do it all right. And instead, what I've done for myself is I am just as comfortable talking about my weaknesses and the things I struggle with as I am about the things that I'm really, really good at. And Mm -hmm. I don't have shame about either or either of them, which Mm -hmm. was a huge leap for me going from what I told you, you know, it used to look like. 
And now, can, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you obviously had a shift because you were this banking executive um, and now you really teach people how to be mindful about money. You, you talk about how, how to, you know, elevate your financial consciousness. What happened over those years? Like what, what led to the shift for you in doing what you do now? And how would you describe what you do do now? So this is a little harder of a question to answer because in all fairness, it's been a 20 year journey, you know, and there've been a lot of steps along the way. I'll do my best to summarize. The biggest thing that I had to realize early on is I came from a very uh, trauma filled childhood and I decided money was going to be my God and I would make a lot of it and everything would be awesome after that. And unfortunately, in 1999, 20 years ago, my dad uh, was was murdered. And that experience brought me to my knees in a very early time in my life. So I was in my early 30s at that time. And most people wouldn't be asking the questions that I started asking as a result of this tragedy. But what ended up happening is one of the first realizations that I needed to come to terms with you know, back in 31, 32, having worked so hard to overcome my circumstances growing up, and at that time I was an executive in a big bank, is I actually needed to gain some control over my mind. And that was why I went to meditation. I became a meditation teacher. And one of the biggest lessons was about this, this thought up, up until that moment in time, I thought I'm in control of everything happening in my life. And you know, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of responsibility, like tremendous amount of responsibility to think that you control the world in, in not in a good way, but like sort of if something goes wrong, it's all your fault. And if something goes right, it's all your fault, which neither of them are true Mm. and never have been. But that was the sort of weight that I was carrying on my shoulders. And so a big turning point was realizing that there was something else going on. And it wasn't just about me controlling all my I, my external actions, it was actually about me looking at what was happening inside of myself. What was the inner narrative that was going on, which at the time was horrendous. It was filled with just terrible things that I would say to myself on a regular basis. It's no wonder that I was really, really unhappy, even though I was in a great job. I had a great, I married, married my college sweetheart. I had a beautiful, healthy children, and I was still a wreck inside. And so The big shift was turning the attention, not completely away from the external, but enough so that I could focus on what was happening inside and at the same time, keep my life rolling ahead, meaning keep my career, keep taking care of my family. Mm -hmm. That began the shift that would have many different, you know, trials and tribulations along the way that ultimately, you know, led to where I am today. So you obviously took a conscious you you decided from this point forward the decisions i make when it comes to my career let's say um which is such a huge part of all of our lives will be a conscious shift this is going to um allow me the space i need to heal to grow to feel passionate about my abilities and what i'm doing And so I feel like so many people listening to this podcast, they're looking for that same thing. They're like, 
okay, I'm in my job or I don't know what job to pursue next. How can I determine what I can do for the next few years of my life or what I can start to build um, that's going to make me happy in the long run? There's, if you could give us some advice on that, that would be amazing. And plus, I just wanted to say there's something that you've said um, that just like a bomb went off in my mind. I was like, yes, it triggered. It was this aha moment for me where you said that we should all have several revenue streams this day and age. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about both of those things a bit? Yeah. So I think what's so unusual about what I do in my current, you know, form in my business and my work is I took all those years of spiritual discovery and instead of just sort of jumping off the cliff and only going to the spiritual, I turned the lens back and I started looking at my relationship with money through a spiritual lens which is completely different than the world and the way the world tells us to do it, which is look at it from a very practical lens. Do you get me on that? Mm -hmm. Yep. So what I started merging together and what started making huge changes in my life, in my career, and in, in my money is I created a framework around the chakra system, which explains kind of our the way that we are created in this in each human life sort of we go through these trials and tribulations from birth on that help us create a sense of identity and a sense of self-understanding. So I took that model that the chakra system explains and I I smashed it up against, you know, 30 years of working with money and started to realize that we could recreate and redesign our experiences with money through this lens. Now, when you bring up this idea of, of, you know, what can we do differently is what happened was I had a more traditional thing where understanding of money, where it's like you make a lot of money and then you save it. And then, you know, it provides you for your retirement. Let's say that's what a lot of people think. Well, what I realized in merging the spiritual with the financial relationships is I started to realize that, that the, the bill that we've been sold about sort of doing things in a certain way didn't really work for me, partly because I have a lot, I had a lot of fear from childhood that I might be a few bad moves away from destitute poverty, which is a very root chakra thing. And, and what I realized is that when I bring my um, spiritual into the financial, I start taking a stand for what's really important to me, which is what what made me realize that I enjoy having multiple streams of income coming in because, you know, one thing can fall apart in a moment's notice. Trends change. You know, we do a lot of, we have a lot of income that comes in through Airbnb income. And at any moment, legislation can change and that income can go away. At any moment, a job can go away, right? At any moment, the stock market can fall apart and all of a sudden we're like, crap, I have half, which is what happened before, you know, half of what I thought I had yesterday. So what I've seen is that when we become really clear and we get to know ourselves and we understand our fears, we don't have to push our fears away. What we need to do is embrace our fears, understand and respect them. And for me, what that meant was I really like having multiple streams of income coming into my life. What does that look like? Well, I run a business. My husband runs a business. We also run an Airbnb business. We also have a commercial building. We also have, now I have residual income from, you know, property, uh, intellectual property, like books and other things. Like 
I enjoy that because it makes me feel good about the fact that I'm showing up in many different ways in my life and and I'm actually increasing you know, my, my income on a monthly basis, I'm building towards my net worth and I'm learning about some really cool things that I love doing through the, through this process. So you asked a big question. I probably only covered a small portion of it. (laughs) No, I I think that's great. And it's inspiring. And you must have a really good accountant because I, (laughs) in the past year have been um, trying to set myself up as, as you have like just with multiple revenue streams. And it's so hard to keep track of all the little places um, that, that it can come in. Um, that being <laughs> said, I, um, a, a bit of my story, which regular listeners to the podcast know is that I was laid off from my job in 2018. So just over a year ago and have over the past year been trying to set myself up with sort of a model, like you've mentioned, where I don't want to be in this position again, where I get laid off from my job and then I'm scrambling to start something from scratch. So I'm trying to, like you said, just have these really secure, or I guess nothing's ever really that secure, but enough income sources that if one crashes and burns, there's still a couple to keep me afloat. Um, And I feel like, and maybe I'm sure you'd agree with me here, is in doing that and diversifying like that, it's more exciting than the traditional model of just the one job where you're really working for somebody else. So much more exciting. And it's not to, not to say that, you know, there could come a time I'm always open and, you know, a company may approach me at some point and I may say, they say, yeah, you know, with the health insurance situation being what it is, I'd love to have a job with a company and do these other things, but you don't give up your freedom when you have multiple income streams because freedom comes from choice and opportunity and the ability to say, this isn't working for me anymore. This is causing me too much stress. So I get to pivot and do something different and no one owns me. No one makes that decision, including my bank balance, right? Because sometimes that owns you. That makes all your decisions. It may not be your employer, but the bank balance. And, and I just didn't want to live that way anymore. For sure. And as you said, like, yes, of course, like if you have a job you love or you have a job that, that you, you don't mind, that's great. It's one of your three revenue streams, you know, but it can always be fun to sort of just dream up like, hmm, what could I start next on the side? Like an Etsy shop or should I use my love of cooking to create a digital course and sell it online? Um, what are some fun ideas that uh, or some creative ideas that you've heard of making some extra money on the side? I think that when people are looking at side hustles, which we like to call them, it's really enjoyable when it can be something that you also would do if you weren't being paid. So one story that Chris Gillibo talks about, and he has a book called Side Hustle, which I love, but one of the the stories he talks about is a woman loved making bread and she kept getting asked and she would make it as gifts. And eventually she started making the bread and selling it. And before you knew it, she was making like $80,000 a year on a side hustle selling bread that she would make, you know, because it brought her so much happiness. But like, I know people quilt and I know people who, you know, do a lot of the, the, I I have a lot of people come to me who do psychic readings or they have these incredible intuitive gifts and they're not ready to go do this full time, but it brings them so much joy. And so they start doing it. And many times what 
the leap is, is they do it for free, right? They do the tarot card readings or they do these things for free. And the leap is, well, let's just start charging for this. And, and for some people, that's really hard, but like you do need to go to that next step for it to be a side hustle income. <laughs> Amazing. It's been so great talking to you. Now, congratulations. You have a book coming out. What's the process been like for you in writing this and what can we expect? Thank you. Yeah, The Mindful Millionaire comes out in June of 2020 with St. Martin's Essentials imprint. And I've been working on it for about five years. It's 355 pages, which just blows my mind because I've never considered myself an author or even a writer. But that has changed because when we are super passionate about something, miracles happen and the universe comes in and says, obviously, you have something to say and we're going to help you bring it into reality. And that's, that's really literally been the process. It's, it's obvious to me that this book has an audience. It serves a great purpose in the world of helping people change their relationship with money for the better. And I can't wait for it to come out. Oh, wow. Well, it's been so great talking to you. You have such a warm spirit about you. And um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, listeners. I hope that you take something powerful away from this conversation. So good. If you want to find out more about Lisa Peterson, the mindful millionaire, check out wealthclinic.com. She also has a podcast, Art of Abundance. You can find that one and her book, which is going to come out pretty soon. It's called The Mindful Millionaire. That is on pre-order on Amazon. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. Um, like I said, we are going bi-weekly for episodes. So um, just uh, keep note of that. And also, if you want to grab those great freebies, including some awesome journal prompts to get you thinking, go to mindfulmostly.com. And I'll talk to you next time, okay? Right here on Mindful Mostly. Mostly.